Hello and welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 108th episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episodes 2, 10, 20, 21, 29, 30, 31, 32, 34, 35, 43, 48, 51, 56, 64, 74, 83, 92, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, 107, and episode 82. Also featuring regular guest Ash Burgess of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over 10 years trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And if you listened to the last two episodes, you heard us talk about the first two episodes of The Wire. On this episode, we'll be discussing up through episode 9 of season 1. So consider this your blanket spoiler alert. And now on to the show. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hey, what's up, Bob? Oh, nothing much. Just trying to keep the devil in the hole. You know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a 24-hour job. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, this is a special episode. Yeah, it is. We're, we're talking about The Wire here. Mm-hmm. HBO. Yep. At least the first nine episodes of it, so... First nine episodes of the first season, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for my money, it's one. It's one of, if not the best show ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bob is acclimating, from what I understand. <laughs> I'm getting there, um, okay. slowly but surely. I've been watching about two episodes a night since we last talked here. So, um, and yeah, yeah. I'm getting back into it, man. I I can't just watch one episode right now. I gotta like watch two or three. Yeah, they definitely leave it on a cliffhanger pretty regularly. So. Yeah, yeah. Wait till you get to, towards the end of this season, though. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, I mean, we've I think we've talked about in previous episodes. You were. You had kind of like tried to start this show once or twice before, and it didn't really take for you or something, but you didn't get very far in it. Yeah, I think I'm about to where I was before, because I definitely remember certain scenes and episodes from previously, but it's, yeah, it's about as far as I've been before, if not a little farther, so, um, but yeah, it's it's getting a little better. Um, I feel like I need to immediately, like, rewatch it, though, in some ways, like, I, I don't even feel like I understand everything the first time. It's one of those things where the world of the show is, takes some getting used to, so it's almost like you need to go back right away, and I don't know. I would, if I were you, I'd rewatch it after you watch the whole thing, because, like, at that point, you're going to have a perspective on the characters mm-hmm. and where they go and their whole arcs and everything that you just can't get just from the first season. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I, I would say, like, I think back in 2014, you turned me on to Friday Night Lights, right, by just showing me, like, the first episode. Or mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that and, is another show that has its own universe. Of that show is incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just a Texas football, nothing else going on in town. It is a whole world kind of like The Wire, you know what I mean? That's kind of like an unfamiliar territory to people that aren't from there or don't don't live in that world. So, yeah, it does, it does take some... Some, some getting used to too, I guess. Yeah. And they're and they're like talking a mile a minute in that, in that first episode, and, and you know, there's just not a lot of foothold you can get into there. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I think, like, I mean, <laughs> but I, I came back to it several months later after watching that first episode, and I, you know, went through it, and of course it's a great show and everything, and, you know, later on you become acclimated to the to the world there and everything and the people and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think The Wire is like that, I, although I don't think the first episodes are that... Um, alienating or that that kind of off-putting i guess but um mm-hmm. but i i will say i will admit and i was talking to my mom the other night night saying that we were watching the show because this is a show that i turned my mom on to too and mm-hmm. she loved it which kind of surprised me because she does not go in for all the violence and drugs yeah. and sex and necessarily all that stuff all the time <laughs> but she loved the wire like she yeah. loved this show she watched the whole thing so that's funny my mom was the same way with breaking bad like i never would have on purpose showing her Breaking Bad but then she was like have you seen the show Breaking Bad <laughs> I yeah. Like, yes I have why are you watching it <laughs> yeah every every couple of years I go back and rewatch The Sopranos and I mm-hmm. I think about putting my mom onto that but I, mm-hmm. I think that might be a bridge too far yeah, <laughs> but, yeah probably I mean there's no denying the intelligence the show the humor mm-hmm. the, uh, the psychology the philosophy the you know just all all the, I mean, it's working on so many different levels and everything, of course. Mm-hmm. But just, I don't think that she can get past probably the just the the over the top violence, the mm-hmm. the stupidity, the <laughs> you know the callousness and everything. I, I just think there's a lot. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a pretty high barrier to entry for some people for that kind of a show. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. She may love it. I mean, she liked The Wire mm-hmm. uh, and The Sopranos is in a somewhat a similar vein as far as, you know, complex character study, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I can see, I can see the similarities there, but yeah, like I was saying to you, like, I feel like there are certain things that they skip over and I guess that it's like one of those things where it's like you get the context of what's going on. So you go and I kind of reconstruct what you aren't shown um, and you kind of create the world that way, but they kind of just throw you into certain things and kind of expect you to know why it's important, I guess. Like I was kind of using the basketball game as an example, like that episode starts with Stringer Bell and Avon Barksdale, like at the gym watching that one guy play basketball. We don't know why this is happening. We don't know you know anything about you know and then they talk about oh we need some money for something and like the man, the kids manager or something. I don't know it's it was just like and then there's this basketball game later and then of course like one of the cops says the other one hey what's going on oh it's the west side versus east side basketball game for the ghetto pride or whatever didn't you know and I'm like no I didn't know <laughs> um, but they yeah. but they kind of just introduce things like you're supposed to know why they're important or supposed to have figured out what happened and why all the characters care but they don't really tell you why right away i mean you kind of reconstruct it later but you know what i mean it's kind of like a cold water in the face you know just to start with but yeah well i I don't know i mean i think the whole show is like that to some degree in that i mean you know we're a couple of white guys from the midwest small Mm -hmm. town what do we know about you know uh you know inner city drug gangs and police efforts to combat Mm -hmm. them and stuff i mean like we don't really know anything about any of it Mm -hmm. so to speak true um aside from the fact that we're both pretty well versed in hip-hop going back (laughs) for 20 years or so yeah i guess that's true insofar as that you know whatever that gives us but right but the thing is I, i don't think the basketball i mean the basketball game is not really something that's going to come up again later but like I was saying, I think it's just a way for them to introduce. I mean, number one, it's the first time the police have seen Avon 
park sales in person, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a big moment. And it also introduces Proposition Joe, who is the basically the leader of the east side of the town, who we haven't met yet, but that will become a thing later on, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, his character is going to get really deep, too, and his family and his people and stuff and what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And their, you know, rivalry with the west side, which is what we've been seeing so far. And I mean, you know, a lot of, you know, it's kind of a cliche to say at this point, but, you know, the the city of Baltimore is kind of a character in this show. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're getting familiar with certain neighborhoods and certain, you know, certain socioeconomic demographics of the city and stuff as far as the, mostly the police, mm-hmm. a little bit about the higher ups and the police and the kind of the, the people who are functioning on the state level or the city level and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then also the, the drug people, both the users and the dealers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the various hangers on the strippers and the, the legitimate shop owners. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're getting a huge, you know, just a number of cross sections of the city and stuff. And, and that's only going to expand as we go further. And the second season, I think you'll be interested in because the second season throws a lot of people for a loop because it kind of takes a step back from the from the African American drug gangs and stuff, and it goes into a different different criminal dynamic and stuff. Although these characters are still there, like the the first time I watched it, I felt like I was kind of thrown off by the second season. <clears throat> um, but then when I rewatched it again, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, all these characters are still there. This stuff is still going on. It's just not the primary focus the second time around. Mm-hmm. But they come back to it more in the third, fourth, and a little bit in the fifth season. I mean, I don't know. I'm excited for when you see all that. But it's, I mean, this show has scope that, mm-hmm. and, you know, it only gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And at the same time, it never loses sight of, like, the characters that you you know, you hate to love, you love to hate, like all the characters that are, you know, you get wrapped up in their stuff and new characters that you're going to care about deeply have not even been introduced yet. Mm-hmm. And so there's just, you know, there's a long way to go from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. So, yeah. So, so, you know, I kind of mentioned on Facebook or whatever, but like which characters are standing out to you so far? Uh, I guess you want to start with the uh, drug gangs, I guess, first. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, like I mentioned a little bit, I think Wallace, uh, he's kind of a side character almost, but I feel like he's almost kind of the conscience of the show in certain ways. Like, he's he's 16 years old. He's kind of, you know, innocent in some ways. He's seasoned in other ways. Um, you know, I think it's, like, really, like, playing, have, wreaking havoc on him psychologically, what he's seeing around him. Um, he's also, mm-hmm. like, has a connection to, like, the kids that he's taking care of or living with. Um, he seems kind of like an yeah. older brother, kind of caretaker type uh, character for them. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that his, like, you know, revulsion at the what was the light-skinned guy's name that got killed on the hood of the car? What's his name? Brandon. Yeah, Brandon. When, when Brandon gets Brandon. killed, he that, that really you know, messes him up. Um, you know, so, so you can kind of see him like deteriorating and then you see him using drugs and, you know, kind of not getting out of bed and, you know, borrowing money from other people and not really, you know, participating in life. So, you know, you kind of see him dropping out. Uh, I don't know where his story's going exactly, but, you know, from what I've seen so far, it seems like he's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, like I said, the conscience of the show a little bit. So, but yeah. Yeah, what do you think about Brody and Poot, the other two young guys in the uh, in, in the pit? Uh, 
uh, they're, they're, they're good. Um, they seem a little bit naive as to how everything else works, I guess. Like, I don't know. They seem kind of willfully ignorant or they're kind of like, like when, um, oh, what's his name? The guy that got off for the murder. That's D'Angelo. D'Angelo, yeah. When D'Angelo leaves Poot in charge, is it Poot that he leaves in charge of the pit when he goes off for a while? Yeah. Like, yeah, that seemed like very childlike when he was like dancing on the couch. You're like, look at me, you know, <laughs> like, it's like he's, these, these people, they're acting so tough and an adult but this is they seem so naive in other ways you know what i mean so um yeah but well he's he's been given a lot of responsibility yeah just by happenstance because probably because brody wasn't there if brody mm-hmm. had been there you know d'angelo barksdale probably would have given it to him sure but you know he just happened to be there and he's mm-hmm. realizing that he's you know probably moving up in this organization mm-hmm. getting more more trust more responsibility and and more respect in mm-hmm. some ways. So yeah, uh, and I think that's like in, understandable in any you know organization or something. Like you know, mm-hmm. if your parents go out of town and they leave you in charge of your younger sibling or something, younger siblings, you're you're going to be like on a little bit of a power trip, right? I mean, it's sure. Like in any situation. So, and I think another thing that like the show is about, and I you know. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to delve too much into the cliches about the show. I mean, there's a lot of easy cliches that people spout off about the show whenever they talk about it. But is institutions and like the effects of the institution on the individual, mm-hmm. whether that's the police department or the city government or you know, uh, you know, or the drug gang and stuff. I mean, like just you know, the incentives within these institutions, the 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 internal logic of these institutions and stuff, and you know. It, it, unlike any other cops and robbers show or anything like that that I can imagine, you know, short of perhaps like The Sopranos to some degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, this one really just shows you the kind of the motivations and the uh, the the things that are you know the inner workings of these groups and how you know status is achieved, how respect is achieved, how rank is achieved, and just what the motivations are and what the kind of the incentives are for these people to do what they do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I think we, we saw that in that moment where Poot, he kind of jumps up on the couch and kind of dances on it there for a minute when he realizes he's in charge. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. What about Brody and Carver and Herc, Hulk, Herc, Herc, I guess. Yeah. Uh, which what about one? their, those three guys dynamic? Which ones are they? Remind me. Those are the two kind of like those are the two police, the white guy and the black guy that oh. kind of like they'd rather just fuck people up and they don't yeah. really want to use their brains on any of this. Right, like, right. They keep they keep bumping heads with uh, Brody mm-hmm. because he like he ran away from the the uh, juvenile court thing and oh, stuff. And, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those guys are interesting. Those guys are kind of unsettling because, like I said, it seems like they're willing to not at least entertain the idea of being bad cops, at least, if not go over the line, cross the line uh, think, with the slightest provocation. The times oh, they do, they so do, far. and they don't seem to need much, uh, you know, prodding to, to do that. So even when they're acting quote unquote normal, you know, it just could go wrong at any moment with the slightest bit of provocation or whatever. And it seems like they're 
are just there for the you know the the thrill of the chase the thrill of the hunt um you know when they chase that one guy who's bringing the re-up in to the pit you know like that that almost seemed like a you know lion catching a gazelle or something it didn't seem more like a predator prey thing where they were just getting off on the on the thrill of the hunt you know what i mean as opposed to anything else that's supposed to be going on um so it's something animalistic i guess about about their like predatory nature i guess that the job i guess brings out in them so yeah well i mean, I, mean I think there's all kinds of predators in the police side i mean well i mean on all sides there's sure. all kinds of predators obviously but like mm-hmm. you know like i mean i don't know i think you'll find that like the other guys you know take a certain joy in kind of like the slower hunt the less physical hunt but just kind of like filing nailing somebody uh dead to rights and stuff like mm-hmm. i think you'll see that side with some of the other guys uh, yeah. later but like um but yeah i think these guys these two guys represent kind of like the brawn over brains kind of you know aspect of policing or whatever mm-hmm. you know they don't really want to learn they they're not like you know, I mean, like we, we've seen kind of since they started this detail or whatever, the wire detail, uh, a lot of people got pushed in there. And like some of them were just kind of some really old drunks who, you know, they're like six months away from their retirement, basically. And they're they're trying to find their way out the door and they don't have the time or the, the energy to want to have to learn a new way of policing, which is what is kind of being pushed on them by, mm-hmm. to some degree, Jimmy McNulty's own narcissism, I guess, that he, you know, has kind of put this thing together by going and speaking to that judge, Judge mm-hmm. Phelan, at the beginning, which yeah. kind of set the whole thing in motion. Yeah, why does and, why does the judge, sorry, side, side note, why does the judge like or want to help McNulty so much, like, or think he's helping McNulty? It seems like every time he gets involved, he's actually screwing things up, but you know what I mean? Like, why is he so committed to like helping him or making things happen for him? Well, I think I I have a feeling that they had some sort of a prior relationship, a friendship Mm -hmm. maybe or something. Although Mm -hmm. we get the sense that they don't really respect each other. He looks down at McNulty for being, yeah. um, I mean, I I think obviously he likes the, the uh, prosecutor Perlman, Mm -hmm. the woman, the woman prosecutor there who Jimmy's been banging for a little while. Yeah, well, that was the yeah, person he cheated on his wife with, right? That's kind of implied. Yeah, yeah. right. And so there's, there's some some kind of like back and forth over her, I think, as far as trying to impress her. But mm-hmm. I, you know, Jimmy doesn't seem to respect him. He just knows that this guy has the the power to kind of outside of the police department itself force the police department to take certain actions. And so he's using him in that way. And Jimmy, you know. He uses a lot of people throughout the show. Mm-hmm. And I think Bunk, a couple episodes ago, Bunk Moreland kind of laid that out when he said, like, you know, after they, uh, you know, he, Jimmy made Moreland tell the other detective that the, the evidence they had of a murder could not be used. Mm-hmm. And so that guy was going to have to take a, a non-clearance on a murder that he could clear. Mm-hmm. And Bunk had to tell him that. And then they went out and got drunk. Mm-hmm. And Bunk says to him, like, Tell my wife I'm not coming home tonight. Make yeah. some bullshit excuse. You, mm-hmm. I lied for you today. You need to lie for me now. And then he goes to a woman's home and mm-hmm. has sex with her. And then he goes in her bathroom and burns his suit. Or he tries to, it anyway. basically <laughs> impossible for him to go home without 
and, and hold up Jimmy's excuse. <laughs> and then, like, Jimmy takes him back to his hut place, and he's, like, sleeping on his kid's bunk bed or something. And he, he tells him, like, Jimmy, you're no good for people. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a, that's a big line from the show. Yeah, but why why does he say that, though? I mean, it wasn't his fault that he went and did that, was it? I mean... Well, I, th- I think that the point is that Jimmy's you know, uses a lot of people like judge Phelan and stuff to, for his own ends. And he Mm. doesn't, he doesn't like them. He doesn't respect them. Their goals and needs don't meet up with his own. And he, you know, finds a way to get his own needs met as far as like having the wire or making sure that a a case doesn't get cleared for the other uh, murder detective Mm. so that he can keep his wire going and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, making bunk lot of people, and stuff. I, yeah, I, I just think like you know, it's it's a it's a it's a deep, deep, deep character stuff. I mean, like it's just like you know, they're friends and everything. They're good coworkers. They have a they have a banter and they have a a great relationship with each other as far as professionally and everything and interpersonally. But you know, Jimmy's taking some taking something out of him too, mm-hmm. like he does for most people. Right. Yeah. It is a, I, I don't know, it's just, it's fascinating, I mm-hmm. think, so. Yeah. He's also a terrible father. <laughs> he keeps bringing his kids along to these things that really no child should be, like, anywhere near, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he takes them, like, with Omar to uh-huh. the morgue, yeah. uh, like, on a school night. Yeah. And then he, like, <laughs> he, what does he do? He has them trail Stringer Bell in the mall. And yeah, yeah. exactly. And he has his kid, um, like, write down the license plate number and everything. <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, I mean, the kids did a great job there, I guess. And stuff, yeah. so, and it's interesting that he taught them how to do this for some reason, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think of D'Angelo Barksdale? Uh, he's okay. I mean, I think he, I don't know. He acts like he knows or he's more, he, I think he acts like he's more mature than he is or something. I think that's probably a function of being Avon Barksdale's cousin, probably, um, or nephew. Is it nephew? Cousin or nephew? Yeah, nephew. It's nephew. Uh, yeah, he's the nephew, I think. Um, just because, you know, he's, he's involved in this world, but I don't know. He, he doesn't really seem mature enough in some ways for the position that he seeks to hold. I don't know. Um, like, like it's like even in that first episode when he was like, yo, that was tight when you made that, you know, uh, witness lie or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's so naive. It's like, yeah, you think like, it's like his, his you know, uncle says, it's like, you think that's free? You think, you think that just happens, you know, like we snap our fingers and yeah, that costs money and time and everything, you know, like he, I don't think he seems to like understand the larger game of what's being done here. It just kind of what's more in front of him seems like, I don't know, but yeah. Well, I, I think there are some parallels with Wallace there as far I mean, mm-hmm. obviously sure. he's higher up and farther along in the game than Wallace mm-hmm. is, but he's, similarly, he's got a kind of a certain naivete about the whole thing, mm-hmm. um, which, and, and on the other hand, I think there's sides of him that we have not seen on screen as far as like the murder he did mm-hmm. in the towers or whatever, yeah. which you know, probably was not a very flattering or naive-looking thing. Sure. Was that the tap, tap, tap? That. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Put a, put a pin in that one. I'm not going to say anything about it because we're going to come back to that situation okay. probably later this season. Oh, really? Okay. And there's, there's going to be some more revelations about what happened there that's 
going to, you know, muddy the waters a little bit further. Um, So that'll be interesting for you to see, too. We'll have to hear your thoughts on that, too. (laughs) I did like when uh, McNulty and Bunk are going through the crime scene there. That was a good scene. Yeah, the the fuck scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it felt a little bit self-indulgent from, like, a directorial or readily aspect to me. But, you know, people often comment on that scene, like, you know, as far as, like, you know... (laughs) You know, an acting class. Look at this. There's, there's like a five-minute scene almost with two detectives saying nothing but one word. And look at how many meanings it has and how they use it and how they just have this, like, this second-hand language to each other that where they just they can communicate on almost a non-verbal level. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's all interesting. But it did still feel a little bit self-indulgent to me. But mm. I don't know. It, it was, you know, it was a good scene. They show you how they reconstruct the scene and how they figure out what happened mm-hmm. in this murder scene, which the other the other detective never bothered to you know mm-hmm. figure out. Mm-hmm. And also, I think they did really good foreshadowing because they had D'Angelo Barksdale tell the story of the murder mm-hmm. beforehand, so you know what to look for. Mm-hmm. But you got to remember the detectives who are there; they have no idea what happened, mm-hmm. and so they're really having to piece it together cold. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. That was the murder of uh, Avon Barksdale's college girlfriend, mm-hmm. uh, or a girlfriend he has who's in college, who was in college, who got murdered, right? Uh, apparently by D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, what about what about Avon and Stringer? That's a good, like you said. That's like you you compared it to Jay Z and DMX, and I think that's probably an, an apt comparison. Uh, you know, Stringer Bell. I did like the scene where he followed or. Uh, McNulty follows him and goes to the community college and he's taking like microeconomics or whatever. <laughs> and then he's like trying to apply these like lessons about elastic businesses and non-elastic businesses to like his like front business. That's really not even supposed to be a business, but he's trying to make it run like a business and he's, you know, trying to be, you know, a legitimate businessman in some way and turn his, uh, you know, uh, dirty money clean or something. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, dichotomy economy there i one one scene i did like from uh, avon was at the basketball game when he uh, dresses down the referee for uh yeah <laughs> you know what i mean he's like don't just let a person get in your face and tell you what to do get out of my face oh, he's like telling him not to listen to him right then he's like what <laughs> You are yeah, crazy, yeah, I man. Think, I think he, I think he wanted at first. He, I think he wanted to, you know, make the guy back down and change the call. But then I think he changed his mind, and you know, he he doesn't want to lose face out there. But he's like, he's, I don't know, man. It was, it was, it was, you know, it was acting. That was real acting. I tell you what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that guy. Uh, What's his name? Wood Wood Harris, I think, is the name of the actor. He's, uh, you know, phenomenal mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. So as as so many of them are. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing I think is great about this show is just like, the, I mean, this show and it'll continue more and more in later seasons. Not so much the second season, but continuing into the third, fourth, and fifth seasons. It, it's just like a, a who's who of African-American actors at that time mm-hmm. and continuing today. A lot of these actors have gone on to do, you know, Idris Elba has done Pacific Rim and he's, mm-hmm. he's done uh, one about child soldiers in Africa and stuff. Um, uh, a couple of the guys, the guy who plays, uh, let me think. Okay. There's a, there's a guy who's going to come later named Cuddy and he's going to be a huge character later too. 
and he wound up on the Walking Dead. Uh, the actor who plays D'Angelo winds up on the Walking Dead. Um, there's a guy who's going to be a politician later who's going to wind up on Game of Thrones. Hmm. A lot, I mean, a lot of the people who were in the the Wire orbit wound up going on to a lot of other big shows. And I mean, the guy who does he's Littlefinger on the walk uh, on the Game of Thrones. And he's a good actor too, mm-hmm. um, and he does a good job in both shows. I would say the Walking Dead actors. I know they're great actors because I've seen this show, but The Walking Dead is just not a show that demands great acting, as I may have mentioned before. In fact, it almost precludes it. Um, so, but but I mean, this this show is kind of like a who's who of African American actors who just act their asses off in the show, and just these are people who you know you didn't see them in a lot of movies, you didn't see them in anything big before this, mm-hmm. and but here they are playing totally three-dimensional characters, you know, who have complex inner lives, you know, complex motivations, and in some ways are in, in a lot of ways are more compelling than the police officers who, or in some cases they are the police officers, but, you know, the, I would say the criminals in the show are almost more compelling than a lot of the police officers in, in mm-hmm. some ways. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, Michael B. Jordan is another one, the guy who plays Wallace. He, he uh, has been in some stuff after this that have been pretty amazing, so he's a, he's a great yeah, actor. I'm, I'm definitely familiar with the name, and I'm not too familiar with what he's been in. I've probably seen some other things that he's been in, but uh, I I don't know. You'll, you'll never see character arcs like you see on this show. Like mm-hmm. when you go through the seasons, like where it starts and stuff. And like, I mean, and you might think like right now that it's always just going to be this, this group put together with the wire, just going after different groups. And that's not totally the case. Like after the first season, these guys get kind of cast to the four winds and stuff. And mm-hmm. they, they don't all, you know, get together necessarily in the future and, you know, reconstruct the whole team and do it all over again for a different group. It's like these people go to different places and we follow a lot of them, most of them in different places and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I would say like the first episode or two of the show were almost even a little slow, although they were laying a lot of groundwork. My mom agrees. Like when we were talking about this, she, she said, I, I said, well, Bob had some trouble getting into it at first. And she's like, yeah, you know, I thought the, the first episode, she said, I'm surprised the show even got picked up after the first episode because mm-hmm. it was just like, it felt like it was going to be like a, another law and order or something like just mm-hmm. a very standard police procedural. And I said, yeah. And you know, maybe that's the reason why it did get picked up. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like after that first episode or two, they really, really started just adding layers upon layers. And a lot of people say this show's like more like a novel than a TV show mm-hmm. because it, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. It's kind of like, you know, uh, Dickensian or Dixonian or I don't know what you call it. <laughs> Charles Dickens. Yeah. Right. What about the police officers? Uh, let's see. Who have we talked about? Who's the lesbian one? Uh, Kima. Yeah, Kima. Yeah, Kima. Yeah, I like her. She was funny. I like when they're on the roof and she's like, you have no creep to you, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's a a character. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what, you're on episode nine. Uh, watch episode 10 because she has a big role. Hmm. No spoilers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, I like uh, I like Kima. She's a good character. Um, 
See who else is there even. Who's the guy above uh, Bunk and McNulty's boss, the really... Uh, Rawls? Yeah. I don't like him. He's mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's kind of funny though, isn't he? Well, he and that uh, what's his what's the other guy's name? The really fat guy. Yeah, oh, I hate um, that guy. So uh, gross. Landsman or something. Mm-hmm. I say. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he's also kind of like these guys are kind of like you know a couple of almost comic relief characters in like kind of a hellscape of this department. <laughs> you know, they just exist to torment everybody who works there. Yeah. Who's the one uh, mustachioed uh, African American police? He's like a captain, or he's like he's like one of the higher ups. Um, he, he, at oh, that, okay, hold on. At that party, he like goes to schmooze with the state senator or whatever. Yeah. Oh, and the state senator. Oh my God! Believe me, we're gonna. This guy is a Clay Davis is a character. Hmm. We're gonna get to know him in the future too. And Clay mm-hmm. Davis is. He's comedy gold. Mm-hmm. He is. <laughs> he's got this thing. He's got this punchline. You're gonna hear. <laughs> he's, he's crazy. Um, but yeah, um, Rawls. Maybe, I think uh, it's not Rawls. No, no Rawls is it, no. Hold on. Rawls is the the guy at the top of yeah, above Bunk and McNulty. Um, oh, what's his name? Damn it, I I should know his name. Uh, it's it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's an interesting character too, and he'll be around. Yeah. Oh no, Rawls, um, Rawls is the one that was. Yeah, he's he's mean. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's see who who am I thinking of though? Uh, hold up. Um. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up Wikipedia on my on my iPad here, but yeah. Um, let's see the wire characters. Man, it's it's right on the tip of my tongue. I mean, the fact that we know all these characters' names and stuff, like, you know, hold on one second, one second. Uh, what, what is his name? Hold on, he's not he's not in the first group. Hold on. Let me get some more. Okay, hold on one second. Let me see. Uh, her, Cuddy. Oh, wait, wait, hold up. It's... Burrell? Yeah, Commissioner Burrell. Okay. I think since I've, like, been a reporter before and, like, I've spoken to, like, people that are, like, kind of higher up in police departments and stuff, that character seems very real to me. Like, he's, like, the very much, like, the politician slash police officer. Like, you find, like, a lot mm-hmm. of, like, county sheriffs or whatever will kind of have the same kind of, I don't know, kind of attitude. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's, like, there's a lot of glad-handing. There's a lot of, like, trying to smooth things over, uh trying to be presentable but you know not always necessarily doing what they should i don't know it's it's kind of like it's a very it's an archetypal character um and it's it's very relatable for some reason uh just just the way his like face looks like the, like the expressions he makes even just kind of looks like you know <laughs> i don't know it's it's very uh he's just a great actor like the yeah, frankie Faison is the actor's name but um okay yeah I don't know, like, like I just, I, I, I felt like a very, like, I was like, oh man, I know this guy, <laughs> like, whenever he was on yeah. screen, like. Wait, wait, till we, wait till we get your first face-to-face with uh, Clay Davis. Okay. Because Clay Davis is a I character. think I might even know his, 
catchphrase already. But yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't even do it right. But like, yeah. no, it, it's a it's an all-purpose catch-all phrase for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he is a. He is. Yeah, I don't think it's. He's. He's a dirty, dirty, dirty politician. But, <laughs> well, we've already caught his uh, his assistant or whatever coming out of the towers with twenty thousand, right? So. Yeah, and Burrell told him, "Drop it. Mm-hmm. Give him the money back. Let him go. Yeah, light it up. Exactly. Close down the whole thing. <laughs> and then they got like the judge to go back and say, "No, no, no. You gave me two months on the water. You're not closing it down." <laughs> and so he's like, you know. He, you know, again, the, the motivations and the the kind of the incentives and stuff that these people all have. Also, I mean, as long as we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, amb- extremely ambitious African-American police slash pol- political, um, uh, what can we say, aspirants, what do you think of Cedric Daniels? Uh, who, which one's that? He's the one who's in charge uh, of The Wire very skinny, very serious guy, very buttoned down. Yeah, he's pretty intense. Oh yeah, I know him. Yeah, he's 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 pretty intense, yeah. Yeah, intense is definitely the word for him. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. What what do you think of him? His wife, they've had a few conversations and we'll get to know more about his wife later too. Yeah, um I don't know, it seems like he tries to do the right things sometimes, like, I don't know, it seems like he's just trying to go along to get along or cover for people, or, I don't know, it, it seems like he's kind of trying to play all sides at all times sometimes, and he doesn't really stick his neck out unless he's forced to or something, I don't know, it seems like he's kind of been forced into a lot of situations, and he doesn't really, I don't know, like, he wants to be a leader, but he doesn't want to rock the boat either, somehow. Yeah, I, well, I would say, you know, he definitely has some aspirations and stuff, and he's definitely, definitely, definitely a creature of the of the uh, the institution that he's a part of. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to rock that too much. Yeah. Sure. Well, and his wife seems like uh, she's more like trying to be like a society person and trying to be like, she's on, like, seems like she's on these boards or whatever, and uh, yeah. I don't know, she's, I think she wants him to be more of a leader than he is somehow, so. I, I, <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I think yeah, when you when the wife is on those boards for a reason, mm-hmm. I'll say. And I think you know we're going to see more of their as a couple their ambitions here in future seasons and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you who else kind of squicks me out is Weebay. Yeah, that guy is gross. Like, like especially after that thing with the stripper, that was like ugh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, but he's like another person that's like a very like realistic person that I feel like you would see in real life. But it just you know you wouldn't want to know that person. <laughs> it's just like oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, all all of the muscle guys for the mm-hmm. the Barksdale crew, Weebay, uh, Stinkum, mm-hmm. Bird, mm-hmm. like all these guys. Um, they're, I mean, as we go into future seasons, to some degree, some of them will, you know, still be around. Obviously, you know, Stinkum is already dead. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Omar got him. Yep. Uh, after they were rolling up on the, the Scars corner where they were going to take over that corner and Stinkum was going to get to hold that corner for himself and, you know, take some of the profits for himself mm-hmm. as kind of like a part owner of that region and stuff. But, uh, 
but yeah, yeah, all of the all of the the Barksdale muscle is. I mean, these guys will almost kind of like pass into le- legend in future seasons uh, mm-hmm. to some degree. Some of them will still be around in some capacity, but but yeah, I mean, the thing is, like when I first watched it, most of them did not really make an impression on me. But then, like later on, I was kind of like when I rewatched the season again the second time, I was much more curious about these guys at the beginning, and like a lot of them, the, and, you know, they're kind of ciphers. Like they're uh, Weebay's got a little bit more personality and a little bit more screen time, I think. But like Stinkum and Bird don't really to, to some degree. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the and the thing is, I mean, later on we're going to meet other crews, including like you know Proposition Joe's East Side people, mm-hmm. as well as some people who come up later in later seasons and stuff. And you're going to get to compare, you know, just how different crews are runs and kind of like how how the run, how the how the culture of these different crews is and. I swear to God, at times you'll almost be nostalgic for the the, the, the Barksdale crew. As crazy as that sounds right now, <laughs> so it'll it'll seem almost quaint the way these guys were doing things because later there's going to be some crazy, 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 insane, violent shit happen, mm-hmm. and you're just going to be like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I like the most about the larger point of the show is that it seems like. It, it, I mean, these people are running around and doing all this, but I mean, even if they like take all these people down, won't somebody else just come up and do the same thing? I mean, isn't that like inevitable that somebody's going to be this person? Like, if there, there's going to be a vacuum, right? Somebody's going to fill the vacuum, no matter who's there. I mean, and there's institutional reasons why they can't stop this, but it just seems so futile. And I mean, I know that's probably an easy point to make, but it just seems like you know, you take down the Barksdale well, crew and. Yeah, you know, here comes someone else. Probably, I mean, they're still gonna have to service. I mean, service those needs or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, you, you got bubbles out there, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. And Johnny. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, you got needs, man. They, yeah. You know, you got to feed the monkey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lebowski reference. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, and I think in the third season they're gonna tack- tackle that a little bit as far as like a. Uh, uh, a police officer named Bunny, mm-hmm. Howard Bunny, something or other, who you know gets fed up with some of the pressures put on him. Where there's kind of like a schizophrenic aspect to the police's motivation as far as what they're actually trying to do mm-hmm. and what a good outcome in this situation looks like, and what you know what a livable solution for everybody is. Mm-hmm. And it goes almost into a kind of a fantasy where the thing that is done is almost not realistic, but it's kind of like a thought experiment almost or something. And I don't want to get too much into that, but, but, but yeah, I mean, but you know, I mean, obviously, you know, this is Baltimore in America and the police's job is not to eliminate all drugs and solve all the problems of society. It's just, mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to catch the people when they get big and to tamp down on things and to, you know, like like they said at the beginning when they started this this thing, they wanted to put drugs on a table and just say, "Look, we got these drugs, and we caught a few people who were dealing them, mm-hmm. and you know we're continuing to be an effective police force for the city here." Mm-hmm. And and so you know, it's a question of motivations and incentives for the institutions and the people within the institutions as far as like 
you know, why there isn't any thinking about a longer term solution or, you know, maybe there's just no way for them to even do that mm-hmm. based on what their mission is and what their parameters are kind of mm-hmm. as a police department. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it is a, yeah, it's a, it's a wild, just like, I mean, th- I mean, yeah, I hope, I hope by talking about this, you're, you're, you're engaging with it in, in a new way or just kind of seeing that like this, the show is operating on levels that you may not even be aware of while you're consciously watching, you know? Well, I mean, that's, that's what's frustrating is that you want to get it right away. But I mean, it, it does take, I guess, some time. And and I I do think probably it would be good to go back and rewatch it right away because there's already scenes and stuff. I want to go back and rewatch just to be like, wait a second, what just happened? Like, you know, and I don't really know what's going on right now, but I might later, I guess. I don't know. So, yeah. Well, like I said before, watch the whole thing through once just to get it all fresh and then come back a second time and try to understand in more depth because Mm -hmm. you will especially after you've seen the later seasons and stuff and how some of the, you know, some of the characters interact, you know, where they go and what they were trying to do and stuff. I mean, it'll, it'll all become a lot more clear after you've watched it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so, I can see that. What, what do you think of Bubs? I like Bubs. He's fun. I mean, <laughs> fun may not be the right word, but uh, <laughs> he's got a bounce to him. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I did like when he's like working at the fruit stand randomly, like on a day's work for an honest day's pay. <laughs> yeah, this is like literally the only time I've ever seen you work anywhere. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it is kind of like, kind of you know, played for laughs to some degree that like this guy he's trying to bring up Johnny or whatever is like just you know he says like this, that boy has no luck at all or something. It's true, like. Bub has got a, a, a hell of a life. He's got a miserable fucking existence. <laughs> but he's got a certain charm and he's got a certain amount of luck mm-hmm. that carries the day most of the time. Oh, yeah. John, Johnny's just the most tragic him. figure in the show, almost. I just, ugh. Yeah, well, it's, you know, he's going to have an arc. He has an arc. Mm-hmm. You know? The character's like, yeah. It's, it's something that is just something you just enjoy immensely as you continue to watch, and it's something you definitely enjoy on rewatches and stuff. Is you, mm-hmm. you see where the characters kind of begin, and then you kind of see where they go. And you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's thrilling. It's, it's great. It's uh, inspirational. Sometimes it's maddening. Sometimes it's fucking depressing. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, the show is, I mean, like, emotionally, it's, it's just, you know. And, you know, the thing is, like, when people say, like, you know, Breaking Bad is the best show ever made, I'm like, Breaking Bad has, like, five characters. <laughs> you know? you got Walter White. you got Jesse. You've got Skyler. You've got, like, you know, Saul. You've got a string of, like, big bads per season or whatever. And... I don't know, you know, it's just like compared to The Wire, it's like, I mean, this show has got probably like 50 main characters or something by the end of it all. Mm -hmm. And most, like 70 to 80% of them are extremely compelling Mm -hmm. and fully fleshed out Mm -hmm. and believable for the most part. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and even I understand even the people that I don't like, I'm not necessarily supposed to like, but it's like they are people that need to be there in the story because they would be people who would be there in real life too. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And and like yeah, and some of the characters you don't like you will like on you know, in spite of yourself. Mm-hmm. Some of the characters you you think you like or like I mean Jimmy McNulty you know, like I said, I, I think he's a pretty good actor, but I, I think, you know, I think there's this idea that British actors can come over to America and just take all our roles or something. They're taking their jabs. <laughs> yeah. We're going to build a wall, a big, beautiful wall. wall just got 10 feet higher. I don't know why. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't like the wall. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's like, but like, I'm just saying like, I mean, and some of them can definitely pull it off. Like, I mean, like I've said, uh, you know, Idris Elba, Stringer Bell does an outstanding job. And the entire time, like I watched the season until I checked Wikipedia, I had no idea the guy was British, mm-hmm. but like Jimmy McNulty, like his character, like there's a lot of points where I feel like his British accent is just, you know, tearing up the scenes of his character and <laughs> threatening to come out full blown and stuff. And it's like, and actually there's a guy I work with now who's British and Jimmy McNulty is very much like that guy in a lot of ways, I would say. Um, and so to me, I, I almost can't watch Jimmy Nolte, McNulty right now because he just seems too British to me, <laughs> but, but like, so Jimmy McNulty is a character that I have a complicated, you know, viewer relationship with as far as he's, he's not my favorite character. I don't think he's the most, he, he's kind of like a, he's just kind of like a guy who sets a lot of things in motion. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like I, I think that's very true. And I think that's true for other shows too. I can think of several other shows where the supposed main character or protagonist is not even close to the most interesting or compelling character in the show. It's just that their story allows the rest of the story to happen because you view it initially through their eyes, but you move on to other things as the story moves on. But like once you've moved on, you're almost annoyed that they're still a part of the story. Um, you know, another show I can think of like that is Orange is the New Black. Uh, like, I don't know if, how much you've watched of that. I think like I watched the first season I might have watched the second or part of the second season. I right. Remember, but yeah. But I, I, I also feel like he's the, like the, the main, you know, white woman that's, that's in that show. Like she's not even close. She's probably the least interesting character of any of the characters in the show, but it's the fact that she goes to prison initially that allows us to enter this world. And I feel like that's just like, kind of become a staple of kind of prestige TV is that the, you know, the supposed main character is not really the one we're supposed to be focusing on. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's true for all shows. No, no, shows certainly not everyone. There are several but shows like that. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And it, and it can be very frustrating. Like I feel like, um, I, yeah, you probably haven't watched fear the walking dead at all, but like, Mm-mm. The main character, the I mean, the son and the mother. Well, they just killed the son. Spoiler alert! Uh-huh. And which is, I don't know. I mean, he was the main character of the first episode, and so that's like, you know. But I guess the actor wanted out, and hmm. so they had to write him out, and, which is bullshit because he thinks he's got a career now. He thinks he's going to be like, you know, the next Johnny Depp and stuff, and we'll see. But. um but, like, they killed the father, the stepfather figure, who was actually an interesting, compelling character with a decent actor behind him. And they left the mother and the son and the daughter in. And the mother's, like, 
annoying, kind of unbelievable. I don't believe her character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, I think the show has a fundamental confusion about, you know, which characters are necessary for their show to <laughs> continue, basically. And it's like, you know, which characters are compelling and stuff. And, you know, and it, it maddens me when I watch, like, um, bad shows and then you read the comments and stuff on articles about them and they're like I really like her character she's a badass and it's like she's a terrible actor and her character is poorly written and it's like motherfucker wake up watch some good TV and then come back to this shit and be honest about it it's like so yeah yeah I mean um how, how do you think the show, like, how would you compare it so far to, for example, The Sopranos or something? Um, in what way? Just like... As, as prestige television, I guess. I mean, I know, you know, we haven't, we haven't even seen the first full story arc, so it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to go that big because, we've, you know, we've both seen, you know, seven and a half seasons of Sopranos multiple times, mm-hmm. but... But um, yeah, you know, I think we have to remember the first season of Sopranos had some clunky moments, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, by the end, I think The Sopranos was kind of spinning its wheels a little bit because it was kind of trapped in that kind of character arc and uh, Tony and, and his you know beef with New York and and all that stuff. I just felt like it was kind of like okay, we feel like we've tread this ground, tried this ground uh, before. I don't really feel like we're breaking anything new here. Um, but as far as like prestige TV, they came up around the same time, or maybe I think The Sopranos was a little bit before this, wasn't it? Yeah, like by two or three, four years maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like The Sopranos opened the door because obviously I don't think there was any other shows like that before this. Like it's like kind of root for the bad guy type thing, or at least understand where they're coming from, or understand how someone could be that person. Um, so I, I think it's almost unfair to compare it because I almost feel like The Wire is walking in its footsteps in some ways, even though maybe uh, in some ways not. But I, I do feel like that was kind of like a groundbreaking. The Sopranos was a groundbreaking show. Tony was a groundbreaking character. Um, you know, really saw the anti-hero as the, you know, protagonist before that. Um, obviously, I think, you know, Walter White in Breaking Bad kind of follows in that, those footsteps um, uh, in some ways. Although it's like you see him go from quote-unquote good to being bad, but, you know, and, and kind of Tony Soprano is always bad. He's just kind of the charming sociopath the whole time, so. Um. Yeah. Well, but again, I think like, yeah, I mean, the brilliance of the Sopranos, I think, is that that Tony is a very charming character, right? And, you know, and he's, he's fat, he's balding, he huffs and wheezes more and more as the show goes on. Mm-hmm. But people still bought him as a plausible, like, sex symbol to some degree, right? Like, women were like, Tony's kind of hot sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's so alpha or whatever. Like, but, I, like, I, my, I, have a, I had a huge problem with the, the, the Breaking Bad just because I didn't buy the central good to bad thing with this guy. I think, like, a guy like that, you know, uh, middle class, high school science teacher mm-hmm. who has lived his life by the book. I don't think that he can make that transition as naturally as he did in the show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know they tried to like muddy the waters a lot here and there and like show the steps and, you know, it's a brilliantly directed show. It's well acted, mm-hmm. but I just, 
didn't buy it for some reason. It's like even I know he had cancer and he's going to die, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean he can go toe to toe with hardcore gangsters who have been doing this shit since the day they were born practically, right. and hold his own and come out on top. I just don't buy it. Man. Well, I, yeah, I think I, I think my biggest like, problem with that aspect of the show was that it's supposed to be him quote unquote Breaking Bad, you know, going from being quote unquote good to being quote unquote bad, but at the same time, it's like really they're just revealing him to be kind of as terrible as he already was because there are several points in the show where he's given an out, you know, like he's given an out to this dilemma that he's supposedly facing with this huge medical cost that he's facing. Like that one guy that, you know, he invented that thing with or or worked with earlier in his life. And then they, he offers him money to go through and he turns it down. That was a moment that he could have, you know, given up this drug kingpin, you know, fantasy that he was living in. Uh, Another moment was when, you know, he, uh, he is told that his cancer is in remission or that it's it's you know being beaten back and then he like tears apart the bathroom or whatever because he's mad because now he's you know Walter White you know he now he's uh, Heisenberg and Heisenberg. yeah exactly like, like he's mad that he can't be Heisenberg or he doesn't have this reason to be Heisenberg it's like well if that's how you felt it's like the, that's what you were going to do you know what I mean you don't need this like external reason to do this anymore so it's really you're just you're going to be this person so it's really not much of an arc at the end it's just really like pulling back the layers and showing who you already were and then at the end when he like is surprised when his son is mad at him for this and it's like you're surprised that he's mad and doesn't want to have a relationship with you here at the end like it's like no he doesn't like you know like 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 that was not as like that's probably the least believable part like I think like you said it's a great show I love the direction uh, this, some of those episodes are, are some of the best episodes of television ever. Um, the, the train one I thought was just amazing. It was almost like a short film. Um, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to rewatch it again mm-hmm. to be sure because I, I think I kind of like watched it. I didn't binge it so much as I went season to season and. It's it's amazing how much you lose between seasons, right? Yeah, it's right. like you you know they they jump back into the middle of things like you're supposed to have just watched the last episode last week, mm-hmm. and even week to week you you lose a lot. It's mm-hmm. just like I, I don't know, binging is the way that you know. A certain kind of television, complex television, was meant to be watched. I think. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, and it was it was fun to be at the end of Breaking Bad to be like caught up with it and just binging on it and just going from week to week and you know kind of you know getting it as it came out and kind of getting it in an avalanche because Ash and I like watched like three or four seasons in a couple weeks and then we were like caught up with it as like the last five or six episodes were playing like in real time. So that was fun to just be yeah. like you know, caught up and, and, oh my gosh, it's like a waterfall. It's like, what's next? You know, like you can't stop here, you know? But I thought yeah. Jesse had more of a character arc than Walter did, honestly, in that show. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, Jesse's kind of like the conscience. Or whatever, oh yeah, or absolutely. Like you root for him. And yeah, yeah. You want to see him do good and you hope mm-hmm. he does good. And you know, Jane, you think he did pretty good. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Paraphrased, dazzled there. Right. But, uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, like, I know it's kind of like sacrilegious to say, but I always kind of felt like uh, Breaking Bad was a little bit two-dimensional in a way, you know, because it's like, you know, the argument is like, oh, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Oh, 
he's got two sides. <laughs> but it's like the wire. It's like, okay, we got 50 characters and they've all got like five sides. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you start doing the math on that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I mean like the, 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 the inner demons and the turmoil of one man and breaking bad and kind of mm-hmm. like this, this kind of this great man theory where it's all about him all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and all the other characters just kind of like spiraling around him. It's just like, it doesn't feel real to me. It's like, you know, this show, like, I mean, Jimmy McNulty seems apparently he's the main character at the outset, but things rapidly spiral to where you've got a lot of characters you care about more than him. And they're more compelling characters. And, and there's, you know, you know, I mean, like, there's a lot of things you care about. Like, is that stripper? Is she gonna, is she gonna, go with the cops and is she going to leave the strip club or is she going to go back in there and she's going to tell like Avon Barksdale and then what the two guys are on it, you know, are Herc and Carver going to be bad cops? Or are they going to be good cops? You know, is uh Prezdolewski, you know, he, he blinded, he halfway blinded a, a kid by punching him on the car and then he covered it up with, you know, Daniels's help. I mean, is he redeemable or is he not? You know, Kima's, you know, living with her, her intellectual girlfriend there in the nice apartment and everything, but she's, you know, continuing to be a cop, but she's kind of studying for like a law degree or something. And, you know, is she going to, is she going to get up above the streets here, this kind of work, or is she not? It's like, you know, what's going on in Chief Daniels' past? Is he, is he corrupt? Is he good? He's, he's straight laced as hell. Is he, mm-hmm. is he going to stand up for the wire? Is he going to go with the, the organization? You know, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's going to happen with McNulty and, and bunk. I mean, are they, are they going to be friends in the future? Uh, you know, what's going on with Wallace? Wallace is kind of like having a crisis of conscience there about conscience on the, on the drug trade. Mm Mm-hmm. What's going to happen with D'Angelo? Like, you know, what's going to happen between Stringer and Avon? You know, it's like, uh, what's going on with the East Side? Like, I mean, there's just like, there's a million different angles to this show. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. It's just like, it, to me, like, Breaking Bad never reached this level of complexity in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, I can see that. If I had to make an overgeneralized statement about The Sopranos compared to The Wire, though, as far as, like, the different sides of characters, I don't know if it's so much that you see different sides of characters, because you kind of do in The Sopranos. You see, like, Tony's, you know, coaching, you know, he's on the sidelines for Meadows' soccer game, and that's, like, supposed to, you know, show him on this domestic side, but and eventually it's like his gangsterdom still, like, <laughs> bleeds over into that, because they then, like, try to pressure the coach that's, like, having sex with Allie, the other you know soccer player into like staying and not taking the job in Rhode Island or whatever and it's like even even you know his like brute animal nature still like bleeds over into that you're just supposed to view it from a slightly different way because you saw him on the sidelines I don't know it's like you, you never really get away too much from who these people are whereas I feel like you know in that one scene when when McNulty follows you know Bar, uh, you know Stringer Bell to the to college and it's almost like that's like the most shocking scene that you see at least I thought it was in the episodes I watched because it's like you see him in class like answering questions and being all studious and it's like 
like, whoa, this guy was like in the back of a strip club counting drug money, not, you know, (laughs) 10 minutes ago. And it's like, now he's in this like community college with like a polo shirt on. And it's like, oh my gosh, like he really is like living a different life outside of this. So I I feel like it's in the Sopranos, maybe it's like you see the same actions, but from a different angle and you could see it as charming or you could see it as understandable or not. But it's almost like they can't help but keeping their, you know, (laughs) everything bleeds over, you know, the, you know, Carmela's engagement ring is stolen. You know what I mean? (laughs) She knows that. And, you know, there's no, like, like Tony's not taking economics classes at the city college. You know, he he is who he is, but you just see him as charming or not, or, or a family man, but a family man who would also like hurt you. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Yeah. I mean, what about like Avon Barstow as a family man too? I mean, like, you know, we've obviously seen the menacing side, the brutal side, the you know, the the kind of trifling side in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, also like the part where you know uh, he's at the family barbecue in the like the church or somewhere or something, and you know, D has just gotten D'Angelo just gotten out of uh, he he got picked up for almost no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember and that. Got him to write mm-hmm. that letter apologizing to Gant who'd been murdered for mm-hmm. witnessing against him. Yeah. And he doesn't know exactly what happened, but he he starts writing that letter before the the lawyer leaving mm-hmm. or Levy, I think, yeah, right. him up and like smacks him around, like why you know I keep it. Why do I have to keep telling you people this? Don't say anything. Don't write anything. Get out of here! And he's like smacking him around almost. I'm like, uh-huh. dude, that's like the boss's nephew. Yeah. He's like taking a lot of liberties with him there. Uh-huh. And who are you? And believe me, we're going to get to know Levy a little bit better later too. Mm-hmm. And he's he's like a total kind of like a Michael Cohen case type of situation uh, kind of fixer so, for the <laughs> criminal yeah he's yeah it, it it's it's dirty mm-hmm. uh, so but like but you know after that scene I was actually like worried about D'Angelo I was like man he's gonna be in all kinds of shit because the lawyer's this pissed off mm-hmm. and we know like the lawyer's doing this because he knows he's not gonna face any problems from the or from Barksdale for for you know taking these liberties with the nephew mm-hmm. And so I was like waiting for for Avon to go off on him, but he doesn't really. He like kind of like gives him a little speech, and he's like, "Come on, let's go back to the party. Don't worry about it too much. Just don't do it again." Mm-hmm. And you really, you know, and he's he's showing love to his 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 nephew's uh, baby and stuff, and his his girlfriend and stuff, his baby's mm-hmm. mama and stuff, and like, and you 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 really see like this just kind of like a human family side to Avon that. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, not inauthentic, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that's true for sure. But well, I probably ought to get going here, but, uh, any final thoughts you want to leave us with before we finish out the first season of the wire? I don't know, man. Just keep watching. I mean, we've got like, we're at episode nine almost. And like, there's about 13 episodes in the first season, I think. Mm hmm. So yeah, just keep watching. Probably we can do another episode here in a few nights, and uh, yeah, I'll probably be on to the second season by then. But yeah, yeah. Well, trust me, we got to do an episode when we finish season one because it's you know it's it's building to something, and there's going to be plenty more to talk about in a couple days. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that. Gotcha. Because it's been a it's been a slow burn now, but like the last few episodes are just going to. Basically, from episode ten, nine or ten, I guess whichever one, I think it's called uh, the price or the cost or something. Mm-hmm. And once we see that one, it's going to be like it's going to be a fast burn all the way to the to the season finale. Yep. 
Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm more into it than I was before, and I feel like I just need to, I guess, stay locked in for the for the long haul. But yeah, has Ash been, has Ash been walk, watching it too, or is she no, not no, really watching? No, it? not really. <laughs> okay. Maybe maybe the next time I watch, she'll she'll be on board. But okay. Not not her kind of show, or is she just busy, or uh, probably not, <laughs> probably not her type of show. But maybe I don't know. Huh. Give it a try. I don't know, man. I think I think by the end of this show, you'd be just about willing to recommend it to anybody. So <laughs> okay, we'll see how that goes. All right, all right, all right, all right. Well, yeah, good to do these uh, this kind of this recap up to up to the episodes we've watched, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, hopefully our listeners will. Uh, well, hopefully they didn't. We didn't spoil too much for them, but uh, hopefully they'll be inspired to get into the show because it's like I said. I think it's the best, if not one of the top two best TV shows ever made. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that's that's about the strongest recommendation I can give. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Omar's coming, yo. <laughs> Omar stepping. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Omar. Oh boy. Yeah, for sure. Oh boy, there's a lot more Omar coming too. Don't. Yeah. Good. Good. So, all right. Well, Bob, we'll continue to be continued later this week, probably. Okay. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right. Later all right, on. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.
If you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. And if you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Until next time.